Welcome to episode 16 of the Canes Country Podcast. This one is going to be really special, I think. My name is Brett Finger. I am joined by the usual Justin Lape and Kyle Morton. And here to evaluate us this week is the editor and the fearless leader of CanesCountry.com and the second guest on this podcast, Brian LeBlanc. How are you doing today? Uh, let me get my let me get my notebook out so that I can start taking notes and writing down how you've uh, prepared your lesson plan for today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got to make sure all our all the students ask us lots of questions. We have we have to have an involved classroom today. Be, be sure to put your cell phone away as you listen to the podcast. Don't have your laptop out. Take notes. No, it's 2017. You can take notes on your laptop. That's okay. I, actually, you, you're not you're not supposed to anymore. It's, yeah, you'd be surprised. Oh. You'd be surprised. Yeah. It's, it's now bad. Lot. I am surprised. It is now bad to do that. It distracts you too much. Because no, now people have Macs fact, and all they do is text the whole time. Right, exactly. So the, it's it's not so much that it's, you know, the technology itself is distracting you. It's the fact that you're doing other things that you're not supposed to be doing. Right? I don't know what no. you're talking about. Can't agree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what is also surprising? What's that? That the Hurricanes defeated the Columbus Blue Jackets on the road and followed it up with three points against the Hawks and the Stars over the past week of playing Carolina Hurricanes hockey land. Pretty impressive run uh, if you didn't watch the end of the Chicago game. So how did you guys feel about a 2-0-1 week? Okay, let's play two truths and a lie. I mean, everyone knows which one the truth is. But if if not everyone made a big deal, this would have been a good a good bit. So this is useless, and we shouldn't put it in the episode. It'll be in. But two truths and a lie. That was the Hurricanes' first win in Columbus in franchise history. That was the first two-goal game for Jordan Stahl as a Hurricane. And that was the first time the Hurricanes had ever defeated the Stars by more than three goals. I mean, we all know it's the Jordan Stahl one now, but uh, I feel like I feel like that would have been a tough one to actually get if if no one made a big deal out of the fact that that was Stahl's first two goal game. See, I was disconnected from Twitter a little bit, I think, during that game. If I was asked that question, I probably would have gotten that wrong. That really? Good? Yeah. Wow. Jordan Stahl has scored at least ten goals with the Hurricanes since he came, so. It's safe to assume that at least two of those came in the same same game. It it felt like he'd had a couple two goal games, but I guess I guess maybe those were games where Eric had two and he had one. I feel like that happened a lot now that I think about it. I'm thinking he may have had one. I'm thinking he may have had one right after he got here, uh, where he had two goals and one of them was taken away. That sticks in my mind. I, I can't tell you who it was against or when it was, but well, the stuck for me was that I thought he had a two goal game against the Islanders at one point. I don't know where I got that, but I felt like it happened. So I even had a hat trick against him. So I think Chad LaRose had a hat trick against the Islanders one time, didn't he? I think that was oh the Habs. Was it the Habs? Might have been the Habs. Who knows? We're fact checking ourselves in real. He time. had it against the Tampa Bay Lightning. <laughs> the Tampa Bay Lightning. That's so right. did so did Yuri Talusti once had a hat trick against the Lightning, I believe. They beat the Lightning no, that was six to two. I was right the second time. Talusi once learned how to fly against the Capitals on a goal during the lockout year. Indeed. Remember that goal? Yeah, they showed it in like every pregame hype video for the next four years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he might still be in it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think 
I think one of you put this on Twitter, and I can't remember who it was, although I know I saw it there, and it really resonated with me, and that's if they had gone on this streak against the Coyotes and the Avalanche and the Panthers and then had gone 0-2-1 against these three teams, nobody would be complaining. But yeah. because they, you know, they crapped the bed, for lack of a better phrase, in those three games, everybody was on pins and needles, and now nobody really wants to give them their due for beating or, you know, getting points against three really good teams. You know, I think that there's still an element of you haven't quite proven it yet there, but I think that it probably is a little bit undeserved at this point because they really, they are where they probably should be at this point of the season. Now, have they gotten there the way that we thought they would? Probably not, but, you know, they're there regardless. So I don't want to say all the criticisms unfair because, you know, the power play is still a pathetic mess, but you know, in terms of where they actually are at this point, I think that they're probably about where everybody thought they would, just didn't get here how we thought they, they were going to get here. And really, it almost worked better when you when you factor in that they took two points from Columbus in regulation. You know, if you write that game as a, off as a loss and you trade it for a Colorado win, then you're not only losing those two points, you're giving Columbus two more. So, so with the especially with, you know, no one's dominant in the Metro right now. Uh, so... You know, we don't really know who's going to pull away. Uh, Columbus, I mean, they could, but they're only three games above 500 right now. That that four point swing there could end up being pretty meaningful. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not convinced that the Blue Jackets are going to stay on this run. I mean, we're already kind of seeing it. Borowski's kind of come back to earth a little bit after that, you know, ridiculous start that he had. And I'm not convinced that they're going to be. I mean, I still think they're going to they're a playoff team. I'm not 100% sure they finish in the top three at this point. I'm not 100% sold on New Jersey either. I think they're going to no, come back yeah, down to no, earth. No, no, they're With that hot of a start, they're, they're bound to come crashing down, and I think they're just too young of a team, and yeah, I, I, don't, I don't see them holding that up. Well, they're 30th in the league in five-on-five puck possession, and they're 25th in penalty differential. So not only are they getting lucky at five-on-five, five, but they're being shorthanded more times than they're going on a power play. So that's not a, that's not a recipe to keep up a 24-point, 17-game pace at all. Their PDO is likely higher than all of Carolina's over the past five years added up. Combined. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, but I think if you take a look at the standings and you tell me that, you know, at the beginning of the season that there were going to be uh, two Metropolitan teams for that wild card spot, you take a look at it, it is a logjam of Metropolitan opponents vying for those final two spots, and then the Atlantic at the bottom. I think that's pretty predictable. Yeah. So I turned on NHL Network today, and uh, because uh, Scott Darling was, was on there, they opened with, the Hurricanes are last in the Metropolitan Division. And I'm like, are you shitting me? Is that is that how we're going to start this? And then Kevin Weeks actually was the one who went ahead and said, well, they have games in hand. They've played the fewest games out of any team in the East. You know, he's there to save the day like he did so many times in his playing career with the Hurricanes. Yeah, I'll tell you who's a big fan of us on NHL Network is Mike Johnston. He he really loves some Jeff Skinner, too. He's a very he's, smart analyst. Who doesn't? Yeah, that's fair. Aside from aside from the coaching staff, apparently. <laughs> that's right, I said it. We ain't do about it. <laughs> Same thing anybody else is. Nothing. Sit there and wonder why he's still skating with Victor Rask. 
as unproductive as he's been, I think he's looked better lately. And he's surprisingly, advanced statistic-wise, pretty effective on the power play. At least compared to the dumpster fire that is that first pairing, or that first unit, which, after Bill Peters said he was going to switch up the personnel, he proceeded to do nothing with that with that terrible, terrible pairing that is literally near the very bottom of the league in or among power play units, that Jordan Stahl unit. And not only that, he takes Noah Hannafin off of it. Mm-hmm. Like, in what universe does this make sense? And Hannafin's a better power play player than Slavin, and Slavin is already playing all the minutes. He was playing low to mid-20s in minutes already before being put on the power play. Yeah. Right. It just doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't, because I thought that he was far and away their best power play weapon, how he's been moving the puck and distributing from the point. And I get the idea of four and one, four forwards and a defenseman, but why not try three and two? I mean, you have the the puck-moving defenseman in order to, you know, accomplish that. I, it's just it's something that they stick with. And if they're going to make a change, like Brian said, what forwards are you going to add? They added Brock McGinn, and I think he's earned that that chance to to be there based on how he's played lately. Yeah, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, you swap out you swap out McGinn for Rask, and you know Rask can't hit water from a boat lately. I can understand that. Mm-hmm. And McGinn's one of the hottest scorers in the league right now. I can I can totally get behind that. Yeah. But your issue is people not going to the front of the net. Well, McGinn helps you there. Your issue is taking a bunch of shots that get blocked to the corner. I just do not understand how, you know, I don't think it's a personnel thing on the power play. I really don't. Even as as abysmal as, even as abysmal as Rask has been, I think you could probably make a case to keep him there. I think this is a systems thing. I just think that there's not enough creativity. There's not enough puck movement. And without that, it doesn't matter who you put out there. You know, if you're just shooting it into shooting lanes and not trying to get goalies moving sideways, what are you doing? Yeah, if you're complaining about about the, the creativity level of a power play unit with Elias Lindholm, Tavo Teravainen, and Sebastian Ajo on it, I definitely agree. That's not that's not the personnel. That's that's very obviously the a design system issue because those three guys are as good as it gets when it comes to whipping the puck around. Uh, being creative, finding creative ways to shoot or pass the puck to shots. And all three of them have good releases. Uh, obviously, you know, Teravine and Lindholm sometimes hesitant enough to use it, but uh, they use them enough to be effective. Ajo certainly has no hesitations when it comes to shooting the puck. So you take those three guys, you have a, a net front in Jordan Stahl, if you can actually get them to stay there and stand in front of the goalie. And then you have Falk's shot. Uh, you put him in a one-time hole, maybe of Teravine and quarterbacking it. I don't see why that can't be a successful power play unit because it was last year. That was the unit last year for a while, and they worked a lot better than they were this year. And look at what happened the other night when you know the TSA line got back together. I mean that that line hit it off last year. It got broken up. They got back together, you know, one or two games ago, and it's like they never they never left. So I mean, certain players have chemistry. I mean, for all the carping that we do about Jeff Skinner being stuck with Derek Ryan. Jeff Skinner and Derek Ryan were really good together for a decent stretch of last year. And I can understand the idea. I mean, I don't think they should still be together at this point, but I can understand the idea behind trying to stick with them and see what works. Certain players just play well together. Ride that horse while you got it. I mean, it doesn't always work. 
Yeah, with the TSA line, you don't move them around. And I'm kind of alluding to what Brian said earlier about systems. If you look at Tara Vinan's first goal of that, that hat-trick night, you had Aho screening in front of the net. If you follow up with the rest of the goals, I mean, that second one, it was tipped by a, a Dallas defender. But on the next one, you had work behind the net that led to the goal. I mean, it's just a group of complementary players. And I, I don't think you mess with that line uh, as we get into some more uh, Metropolitan Division play. What's bizarre about this is that Tara Vinan has been out there plenty in the past saying, I'm not a shooter. You know, I'm a, I'm a puck control guy. I'm a distributor. I'm a possession guy, but I'm not a shooter. Is that coaching that's telling him that? Because if he's not a shooter, if he doesn't want to be one, I'm not really sure what is missing. And if it's coaching that's telling him that, well, they're just wrong. Outside of Ajo, he's got the best release on the team. And maybe Skinner. I think it's probably a toss-up between Skinner and Tara Vinan about who can get the puck off the fastest. I mean, why why not use that? Are you being coached not to use that? Because if you are, then we've got other problems. Yeah, and he can be all of those things. Like I don't, I, I kind of get the sense that there's there's a little bit of an attempt to, by this coaching staff to kind of pigeonhole players into certain skill sets and roles. Like the way I, I see it, Teravinen doesn't have to just be a shooter or just be a distributor or just be a possession guy because he's good at all of those things when he does them. And when you have a guy like that, because they're so rare. Like Skinner is not a distributor. He has he's an elite goal scorer, but he's a one trick pony. And I don't say that in a bad thing because he's one of the five or so best goal scorers in the whole league. If you have guys who can who can do everything well, maybe nothing completely elite, but everything pretty well, why do they think they need to stifle that or why do their coaches tell them that they need to stifle that just to hone in on one of the skills that they do just as well as some of the other skills? Well, I think if you go and you take a look back at those goals last night in the Dallas game. Two of those were from each of the circles. One of them obviously tipped in front, and then one of them was from in between the circles. Tara Vinan is not going to be the guy that is going to crash the net for you. He's not going to clean up the garbage goals, the rebounds. He is a sniper, and he should. He will never be utilized uh, to, to screen goalies or anything like that. So uh, I think he, he thrives in those roles where he's shooting from the circles. Fun stat real quick. Tevo Teravainen ranks, uh, I believe, in the top eight in the league in primary points per 68, even strength. And uh, he had two last night. Another player who's surprisingly high, um, it's not surprising that he's high, but surprising that he's this high, is Jordan Stahl. So, Justin, since you didn't see my tweet about this, I'll ask you, where do you think Jordan Stahl ranks among NHL centers with 150-plus uh, even strength minutes. That's pretty much top nine centerman in primary points per 60. Um, I'll go with 18. 18th. Brian, what's your guess? 25. 25. Kyle, what's your guess? Among centers only. Centers. Among only centers. Eight. You're all wrong. Jordan Stahl is fifth. Among centers, he's in a three-way tie with Matt Barzell, uh, Steven Stamkos at 2.57 primary points per 68 even strength. Top five. That's good. He's in front of many good hockey players, but he's not in front of Alex Kerfoot in Colorado. I mean, you expect that. You just know Alex Kerfoot going into an NHL season is going to be top in the leaderboard 
for primary points for 60 minutes. Like, he just does that every year. Mm-hmm. He's a consistent elite <laughs> offensive talent. And you don't expect Jordan Stahl to outdo him, and that's okay. It is okay. So is Justin Falk actually bad? No. Uh, no? Uh-huh. Okay, next topic. <laughs> <laughs> no, Justin, is he? See, I put that question in our rundown because I think that he's had some pretty big brain farts. I think that was kind of evident in some of the most recent games. So I'm just throwing it out there. Is he bad now? Uh, I know that, especially on the power, we talked about the power play a little bit earlier. Um, I know there's a big problem with the systems issue. That's one thing. But he keeps shooting into contested passing and in, in lanes and stuff like that. He's just hitting bodies. He's just throwing random shots on net. He's just not bringing the offensive production we expect from him. And he's making some some pretty bad jumps on defense as well. So I just wanted to leave that question up to you guys. Is he actually bad? I, I there, Well, there's no defending his defensive lapses. The one that stood out for me was, I think, against Florida. He made just a terrible, terrible move. Um, I believe they were killing a penalty, too, when Vincent Trocek came up the left side and there was nobody covering for Falk, and he just attacked him and missed completely. And that's how Florida scored their only goal that game. On the power play, I think I, I mentioned it a little bit ago, but how stationary they are. They Justin Falk doesn't really move around. And really, when he was scoring all his power play goals and all his goals in general, he was moving around and he was getting closer to the net and finding soft spots in, in defenses. And how they're playing right now, there's that's just impossible because he's standing there at the top of the zone and he's not moving anywhere, so of course they're going to get in shooting lanes because they know that he's going to be a big shot from the point, and that's something that this team is going to rely on when he's on the ice, especially on the power play. So power play-wise, I'm not going to put a whole lot of blame on Falk. I think it all comes down to the system and how they're being coached right now, as we've said endless times both on here and in the past. I don't think he's bad, <laughs> but the defense... Uh, has been questionable to be kind. I don't really think that the way that Falk is playing right now looks like he's all that confident. I don't know if it's the contract. I don't know if it's being kind of usurped by Slavin and Pesci in the pecking order. Um, I don't know if it's who he's playing next to, but something just something doesn't seem right just watching him play. He looks tentative. He looks uncertain. And honestly, he looks like a guy that if he hadn't been here for a few years, I would kind of question if he's really understanding what the coaches are asking him to do. I think they, I think he is, but just on what I can see, you know, you could make the case that he's not, he's just unsure of himself right now. And I don't know if that's a systems thing or I don't know if it's just, you know, one of those weird confidence things that once you do it for and, you know, get on a roll then things start moving. But he just doesn't look like he's he has the confidence that he needs and that when he's doing well, he uses that to, you know, fire those bombs from the point. Mm-hmm. And he's not doing that. And I wonder if this all kind of plays into that. And even last year. I think a, a common talking point about Tevo Teravainen was his confidence. And with that, you could understand it because there's a young player moving from one team to another and a different atmosphere and a different area. I mean, that's a lot to take in as a young player. And with Falk, that's 
not an excuse for him because he's been around and he's established himself as one of the best goal scoring defensemen in the entire league annually. So I, I don't really know why he wouldn't be confident right now because this organization felt like he was a cornerstone leader over the offseason and he got a co-captaincy with Jordan Stahl. Maybe that plays into it too. Maybe he's just un- yeah. He's he's never been he's never been the most comfortable guy in the spotlight. He's one of the guys that you know. There are guys when you go into the locker room after the game that you expect to be there. Jordan Stahl's almost always there. Um, back in the day, I don't know if y'all remember, but you know after the Stanley Cup for a couple of years, if you would go and if you watch the news after a loss, it would always be Mike Commodore on the news because he was about the only guy that was in the locker room, but he stayed there every game. There are guys like that. And Falk, even before this year has never been like that. And you can make the, you can make the argument, I think with some basis in fact that he's never been all that comfortable with the public part of being Justin Falk, the hockey player. And he might be feeling it even more now as a co-captain where, you know, he want he's, expected to be more of a public face and maybe that's just not his thing maybe he's just not comfortable with it and it's kind of bleeding over into his play i know i'm getting off of the speculation here but he's never been the most comfortable around the media he'll come out and do it but you can tell when you're talking to guys ron hainsey comes to mind you could sit there and talk to ron hainsey for 10 minutes about absolutely anything and he'd be engaging he'd be listening you know he'd be there in the conversation and not just spouting cliches. Falk is kind of at the other end of that spectrum where when he's out there, he's doing it because it's his job to do it, but you can just tell that he's not, that's not his thing. And I wonder if this is somehow affected by, you know, his new role on the team. For sure. And a guy that comes to mind that is always there, not necessarily not giving cliches or anything is Jeff Skinner. I feel like he's always upfront about stuff, especially after losses. I believe there was a game, two people, I believe it was after the Chicago game. There were only two people or two players after the Chicago game in which they blew a third period lead and lost in overtime uh, that spoke to the media, and that was Derek Ryan and Jeff Skinner. Mm-hmm. More fuel to the Jeff Skinner should have been captain fire? Mine is based solely on emotion. So I, I think that. This co-captain stuff is still stupid. I think that, yes, I think that it actually may have had, uh, I know this is speculation as Brian alluded to, but uh, I think it has kind of taken a toll a little bit on Falk. I think Skinner should have been captain, frankly, and uh, yeah, I don't know. They really got to turn a page for him. And yeah, the pecking order thing, you know, with Slavin and Pesci, yeah, they kind of have come into the spotlight a little bit more. Um, And I think they're being relied more in certain situations um, I don't know if that's messed with his confidence, but uh, you know, a, a more productive Justin Falk would would pay big dividends for the Canes. I mean, he was Falk was the best defenseman on this team for years, and then out of nowhere and in short order, he's probably the third best defenseman on this team behind Slavin and Pesci. So he's quickly gone from the guy to, quite frankly, a guy on the blue line. I think that kind of raises another question, and that is. Did he take a step back, or did fall, or did Slavin and Pesci and you know Hannafin to an extent take a step forward to the extent that it makes it look like Falk has lost a step? 
it kind of makes me wonder if that's kind of masking you know, Falk maybe losing half a step over the past couple of years. Let's keep in mind, Falk and Skinner have been around this team longer than just about anybody else. They've seen a lot of crappy hockey, and that's got to take a toll on you at some point. I Obviously, I'm not a professional hockey player yet. One of these days. Eventually. But with regards to him taking a step back, Justin Falk's defense has never been an elite part of his game. It's always been his offense, but... I don't think he was making these mistakes in years past with what he's doing defensively. I mean, he's just been really bad at times. He's made some poor decisions, be it pinching too far up, making horrible decisions in the zone, and leaving his man or completely missing his man and allowing opportunities for other teams. I think you're seeing two different responses from either co-captain. You're seeing Jordan Stahl, who has 13 points in 16 games, He's a top five centerman, like I said earlier, in primary points per 60 at even strength. Stahl's taking this captaincy thing, and he's kind of running with it, and he's played better than he has, uh, at least offensively. And Falk is probably playing some of the worst hockey of his entire career, in my opinion. I will say this. In the preseason, it was evident to me that just that uh, Jordan Stahl wanted to be the captain of this team. I didn't even get that vibe quite as much from Jeff Skinner, although I think he probably would have embraced it. Stahl was the one, to me, that really showed, just by his attitude when he was asked about it, that that was something that he wanted to do. And now that he has it, I think that it's probably elevating his play. Now, I don't mean that to say that, you know, I'm going to turn it around and say that Justin Falk didn't want to be named the captain, but... I'm not 100% sure that he was quite as prepared to be named the captain as as Stahl was, if that makes sense. Not that I don't think he can handle it, but he didn't seem to quite have the the drive to get it, I guess, when we talked about it, as, as Stahl did. It was really obvious that Stahl wanted that, not just because his brother was the captain, but because he felt like he would be, would do a good job with it. And I never got that sense from Falk. And whether that's just because he's not a media-savvy guy or what have you, you know, is, is open to interpretation. But it was very evident that there were guys that really wanted this, and I never really got that vibe from Falk. I think I have a little bit of a different take on it. I don't know if it's really time to press the panic button with his performance yet. Sometimes guys just start slow, and that's just how it is. I mean, Sebastian so Ajo says hello. Yeah, exactly. Like, th- like there was nobody really talking about how uh, is Aho going through a sophomore slump? Is Aho not as good as we thought he was? Uh, but uh, Falk's getting a lot of that discussion, and I, I get why because you know he has a more established track record of being great, and the spotlight's on him more with the captaincy or sorry, co-captaincy, co-captaincy. But yeah, I mean, if we get to game twenty-five and he's still not sorted out the uh, the the issues with the decision-making at times, then, yeah, I would start to worry a little bit. If he's still sitting on less than five points, five points yeah, I'd be, I'd be worried at that point. But, I mean, it's a little early. Like, I don't know. I don't think any of you guys are really overreacting, but I think there are certainly some people out there who are, is I guess, I guess what I'm getting at. For sure. And this is definitely not a oh, he's bad now yeah. type thing. I don't think he's bad now. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, 
like we've seen Falk go through struggles. Just watching him play, I, I don't feel like it's ever been to the point where it is now where he, you see him go on the ice and you see him pinned in the defensive zone for 30 seconds. And for me, I'm like, ah, geez, this, this could end poorly. At least in years past, he's he's shown the the flashes of being a very capable player in his own end. But this year, I just I don't feel anywhere near as confident with his ability to play defense. And again, there's still a lot of time to turn that around. It's only 20% into the season. Since we are 20% through the season, what are some disappointments or some big surprises for you from this team so far? Justin? The biggest surprise, not necessarily for myself, but for Canes fans, I guess, uh, Hayden Fleury. I think Hayden Fleury's been very good so far this season. Hasn't been too many blunders on his part you know the first few games were a little rough but i think he's really settled into his role um and i think he'll excel in that role moving forward uh but the biggest appointment disappointment for me rather is i know this is very sacred in in kane's country but justin williams i think two goals and one of them being an empty netter isn't great i i don't think he was a guy that was necessarily brought in expected to score 70 you know 70 points or whatever but um yeah, one goal in 16 games from him at you know at that wasn't an empty netter. That, that's a big disappointment to me. Uh, I'd like to see him pick up that production. Uh, for my surprise, I'm gonna go with how effective Cam Ward has been as a backup. If you get three very good games out of four Cam Ward starts this year, I think you're looking at a playoff team if he can keep that up. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to extrapolate too much based on four starts and be like, oh, Cam Ward's back. But uh, it seems like the extra rest uh, between starts is helping him a little bit. I'm sure he's motivated to do better now that he's clearly been passed as, as the starting goalie. Uh, and this seems to be a pretty good arrangement, especially uh, Darling had a couple rough games at the beginning. But he's, I, I believe, 3-0-3 with a 9-2-6 in his last six starts. So goaltending has been good. I'm not too surprised Darling has been good, but he's picked it up. And I, I'm very surprised at how well Cam has handled the backup role. And I think for me, the biggest disappointment for this team uh, so far this year has been the penalty kill. Last year, that was the real strength of this team. They were completely dominant. Uh, the pressure that they put on opposing teams at the point uh, with the defenseman or the high forwards who had the puck was outstanding, and it made them extremely tough to move the puck and get anything going against. Uh, but this year, they're they're sitting at 18th in the league, and I know that's not that's not terrible in a 31-team league, but it's not where this team needs to be. You know, this team has to get creative when they find ways to win. They're not just going to, you know, dominate scoring goals, playing old fashioned hockey. They got to be specialists. They got to have aspects of the game where they're elite. Uh, And last year, the penalty kill was that for them. Uh, And this year it hasn't been. And they've only given up seven power play goals against uh, because they take so few penalties. Uh, So I guess that maybe the net result isn't so bad. But if you can kill off closer to 90% like they were last year, where this year they're at 80%. I think that would that'd be very good and promising for, for the long run in terms of this team making the playoffs. I am going to agree with Justin. I have been surprised by how little of an impact Justin Williams has had. I wasn't expecting a whole lot. I think, you know, that signing was... That signing was not a depth signing, but it wasn't a signing, you know, counting him to just walk out of the first line and put up three-point nights every night. But it surprised me 
how little I've noticed him out there this season, if that makes sense. And I know this kind of ventures into the disappointment category, but I've got another disappointment that I'll talk about in a second. That's just why I'm putting him here. As far as good surprises, I was shocked at how good Roland McEwen was for those two games. Um, I know it's a two-game sample size, and I only saw him in person once, but he's really freaking good. And, you know, that speaks well to the depth they've got in Charlotte right now that, you know, at some point they're going to have to move a defenseman, whether it's an established guy like a Falk or, um, you know, someone along those lines or whether it's a McEwen or a, you know, one of the other defensemen, you know, Trevor Carrick comes to mind, one of those types. Jake Bean. You know, here's yeah, Jake Bean. It's nice to know that they've got the depth to be able to do that and not completely sell themselves up the river. I know you can't take too much from such a small si- a sample, but McEwen really showed me something that I was not expecting. He was the best skater on the ice for either team in that game against Florida. And I'm really surprised at how far he's come because he never really stood out to me at training camp or anything. But what I saw from him he probably deserves a spot on the roster right now and could very easily step into the top four on, you know, what, maybe 10 teams in the league. I mean, he was that good. He was really good. You didn't um, even do Klaus Dahlbeck when you were listing all the young defensemen on the team. I did not. <laughs> uh, no, I was talking about, I was talking about trade bait. We all know that, you know, Klaus Dahlbeck is going to be trading <laughs> Kucherov, right? <laughs> That's 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 much of. He's important to the young defense core. I'm sorry. Any package for Kucherov starts with Dahlbeck and Spencer Smallman. Yes, yes, it does. And Steve Lawrence. I think we can throw him in there too. Steve Lawrence. (laughs) Kyle's burned some bridges with Steve Lawrence. (laughs) As far as as far as disappointments go, I'm tired of talking about how badly Victor Rask has played, and I know that his. Um, I know that his underlying numbers aren't terrible, but eye test wise, he's been even more invisible than Williams. I mean, I cannot identify one shift this season that sticks out in my mind as a Victor Rask shift. He's just there. It's because Derek Ryan's hogging all of them. What? (laughs) Even that, I mean, at least Derek Ryan has done a few things. I mean... This is now going on the better part of two years where Victor Rask has been no better than a third-line center. And for a team to pay him $4 million a year in this market, in this situation, he's got to be better than that. I'm sorry. I liked that contract when it was signed, but he has at best plateaued since he signed that contract and may have actually have gotten worse. You know, he's not nearly as as confident. I mean, I know I keep talking about that, but it's true. I mean, you just see him and nothing stands out. I mean, he's just kind of there. And I don't expect a guy making $4 million a year to just be there. You know, I expect Joakim Nordstrom to just be there. I expect Brock McGinn to just be there. You know, the fact that he's been on fire lately aside, he's the kind of guy that should be expendable. Phil Phil DiGiuseppe comes to mind go out there and just be there, be a guy. And they're not paying Victor Rask to be a guy. And right now he looks like one. And he's got to get his act together because right now, what are they going to do with him? They're going to pay him $4 million a year. He's not going to Charlotte. He's not tradable. 
what does he bring to the team right now? As far as I'm concerned, he doesn't bring anything. When they signed that contract, I feel like it, it was generally thought of as a really good move. Yeah, I thought it was a great deal when he signed it. Lock the guy up for six years at four mil apiece? Absolutely. Even if he had stayed at the level he was playing at when he got signed, that was a very good contract because you're talking about a 45 to 50 point producer with good hockey ahead of him. It's very odd to see him play so well and then instantly fall off after signing that contract. I mean, he's locked up for five more seasons, including this season. So they can't afford to have him go out there and score a point every seven games or whatever. Like, that that just can't happen. And even beyond that, what else is he bringing outside of point production? He's not a great face-off guy. He's the worst face-off guy on the team among Stahl, Kruger, and Ryan. He doesn't play particularly inspiring defense either. So that's a concern, and that's definitely one of the biggest letdowns so far. Uh, one of my biggest surprises is Brock McGinn. He's turned into a more dynamic offensive player. He is shooting the puck more, and from what we've seen, his shot is really good. He's continuing to lay the body and play the game that we all know that he could do, but now he's adding that offense to it, which I think is what we've all wanted him to do, and he's now doing it. He's proved that he can be more than that, like he was in the OHL. The The disappointment for me comes from, or my biggest disappointment so far has to be the power play. I mean... You can't score 13% of the time on the power play and expect to have a team that is dangerous and feared in this league. They are 30th out of 31 teams, and quite honestly, they should be 31st. The 13% success rate on the power play so far this year is generous. They're lucky to have that, quite honestly. It would be one thing if the power play was you know, getting their chances and sustaining momentum, but at this point... When that power play goes out there, they're losing momentum and they're losing games because of it. There's been so many instances where the Hurricanes come out for two minutes, look like garbage. The other team gains momentum from it and runs away with the hockey game. So, I mean, that has to be fixed. And, of course, you know, that's been harped on for the entirety of the season. But something needs to give there. Oh, and also, so for the Canes Country uh, season preview things, or the season preview, like, prediction post, I said Tavo Teravina would finish with 65 points. And I was told that that probably wasn't a safe prediction. But he has 13-16, so. I still think that your Vegas pick was garbage, but um, hey, they've, outpro- <laughs> they've, they've uh, proven otherwise. Yeah, we were wrong about the Vegas thing for now, but I don't think we said anything bad about that Tavo prediction. I, I thought Tavo was a good year. I received some lashback. Hey, if you want to talk about a gutsy prediction, I predicted 30 points for Marcus Kruger, so... That was... Yeah, yeah. He's on pace for 10. If if we were really getting evaluated for this, I'm pretty sure Brian would have already let me go. Well, I predicted that through 16 games that Teravainen, Stahl, and Williams would share a, a lead for the team in points with 13. I called that. Mm-hmm. Good prediction. Thanks. It's better than Justin's Arizona prediction. <laughs> uh, <that laughs> hey, my Winnipeg, my Winnipeg call. My Winnipeg call looking pretty good. That is looking pretty good. 
The best part about the, the Arizona prediction, I didn't write that on the site anywhere. So there's no written proof. It's only if people actually do listen to this podcast, then they'll know how bad I, I, I really so am. When you, run, when you run for president and someone's doing oppo research on you, <laughs> they'll, they'll dig through these and yeah. find that. Look how wrong he was about this. How can he be right about anything else? They'll also find a lot of tweets about me yelling about Paul Maurice. So. <laughs> you might want to wipe your old tweets. Yeah. yeah. You were like, I'll just delete that account right now. You were like 14 when Paul Maurice got fired. I'll get my staffer to look through it. So, you know. Um, but yeah, speaking about the Coyotes uh, prediction, <laughs> how bad can they possibly get? Brett, you're don't ask the question if you don't want to know the answer. <laughs> I think they're just about as bad as they could get. I mean, Really, they started the year without Ranta, and they marched Aiden Hill into the net. Uh, Would likely shut out the Hurricanes. The Troy Gross special. Should I watch? Should I do live commentary on his highlights again? <laughs> no. no. I think you're out of highlights, quite honestly. Out of his career. But, I mean, look at the Arizona roster. It's not like they... I mean, they went out and they got step on. They they still have OEL. I mean, even Oliver ekman Larson's terrible this year. Yeah, it, and they went out and they got Jalmerson, who was a very savvy pickup in the opinion of many, including myself. He's injured now, but it's not like they didn't make this team better. They got anti Ranta as well. So I, I'm kind of puzzled. I just don't get it because because this is I don't better. Either. It's a better it roster. Be better it's a better roster than it was last year, and they're worse than Colorado was last year, and worse than Buffalo was in 2014-2015. It shouldn't. This shouldn't. This isn't right. Like, I mean, it's not a good team, but it's not a. It's they're not, not a, a nineteen games team. Another year older of Max Domi. You know, you you get a good uh, jump by a rookie. You know, Clayton Keller is killing it right now, and yeah, yeah I feel like he's the very under discussed topic in the league right now but uh yeah they sh- they really shouldn't be this bad everyone knew that nicholas johnson was a loser with the losing culture following him around you should have seen that coming he never won anything and he brought no. that to arizona it was all on brett seabrook <laughs> <laughs> connor murphy uh, how that, bad does that trade look right now the fact that on, bo- on both sides that's a terrible trade on both sides I disagree. I disagree. I think that was a great trade by Arizona. Well, Jalmerson's a advanced an advanced stat god. Connor Murphy is horrible. <clears throat> Connor Murphy wasn't great at times. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to be mean on the podcast. Connor he, Murphy is not good at hockey. I'm no. sorry. Do you guys remember when Ray Ferraro got caught on a hot mic saying <laughs> Paul Martin is terrible? <laughs> <laughs> That's how I feel about Connor Murphy. <laughs> yeah, that that was great. And then he's like, he came over here whining. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but a little bit on the brighter side, we talked about how how bad Arizona is. Is anyone going to stop the Tampa Bay Lightning, or are the Toronto Maple Leafs pretenders or contenders? Brian, your thoughts? I think the Lightning are absolutely contenders. Um, as long as they've got Kucherov and Stamkos, who's going to stop them, really? A lot of this is, you know, conditioned on on everyone staying healthy. But as long as they can keep everybody healthy, why not? I mean, they're they're good. And 
I don't see any reason why they can't stay with it. I am not a hundred percent sold on the on the Leafs as contenders. Um, I think they're good, but I don't think that they quite got everything clicking the way that they should. Uh, Frederick Anderson is not a good goaltender, and that defense outside of Gardner and Riley, but he's up and down, and the rest of them don't scare me at all. They like Ron Hainsey there right now. I like Ron Hainsey too, but I mean, if you're if you're relying on Ron Hainsey as a top four guy on a serious playoff contender, then you've got real problems. Ron Hainsey has played ninety minutes, ninety plus minutes of penalty kill time this year. That leads the league by a lot because he is the only somewhat reliable defensive defenseman on that team. Yeah, you can't rely on a guy that you know is in his what seventeenth year in the league. A to play that much and B to be that much of a cornerstone. It just it never works. I don't see I don't see where the improvement's coming from with the Leafs. Austin Matthews great, Mitch Marner's great, you know, JVR's fine, Nylander's good, but they can't outscore their way to a Stanley Cup. It's not the eighties and they're not the Oilers. So at some point they've got to figure out what's going on on the back end. And if they don't, you know, ask the ask the Caps how that works. Spoiler, it doesn't. I think for me, uh, see, you think Toronto's definitely a playoff team. Uh, whether they're a they're serious... A team because, they're a playoff team because of the division they play in. Put them in any other division, and I think they barely get a wild card. They'd be fine in the Pacific. Well, as terrible uh, as the Oilers have been, yeah, probably. I'll start with Tampa. Yeah, Tampa, no, no way stuff in Tampa. I think they're... They're going to win the Atlantic. They'll probably win the Presidents, and they have everything. They have Vasilevsky playing very well. They have an unstoppable offense, really top to bottom. That there's just so much. There are so many dangerous players there. Norris contender Dan Girardi. Yes, of course. <laughs> they have Chris Kunitz. You know, it really says it really says something that a team that has both Chris Kunitz and Dan Girardi on its payroll is this good. Yeah, and getting four million dollars combined. No, Just, I thought it was five. Yeah, I thought it was five. Doesn't Kunitz make two? Kunitz is. Yep, you're right. Kunitz is two. So it's two. And yep, you're you're right, Kyle. You're always right. You're so good. Thank you. On defense, uh, Sergachev is a guy who I was really, you know, I was surprised that Tampa was able to get Sergachev for for Juwen, and he's been fantastic. I bet Montreal wishes that they had a player like Sergachev right now. I don't know, maybe. Yeah. No <laughs> I bet they wish they had a player like PK Subban, or maybe Andre Markov, or maybe Mikhail Sergachev, or maybe even Nathan Bowyer. Maybe anyone who can make a pass on a blue line. I bet. I bet they wish they had. But Toronto, on the other hand, is. Uh, they're not a pretender. Uh, they're not a contender. They're probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, I think they'll squeak into the playoffs again. That huge start that they had definitely helps that, that start of 7-2. and two. Really, ever since that Western Conference road trip, uh, they've really come back to earth. If they don't make a move for a defenseman, uh, I think they're in some trouble. And that's why all the JVR talk, I wouldn't be surprised if, if they do trade JVR. They do it for someone who's somewhat capable on, on on defense because they've been rumored to have been looking for a right shot defenseman for a very long time now. Over the offseason, the, they only really added Ron Hainsey. Let me just throw something out here. I hate to I hate to do this, but I know a guy who used to pair with Ron Hainsey. Mm-hmm. 
pretty good doing it. He's a right shot. Mm-hmm. They could use a right shot. Nylander. Nylander. If they decide to trade Justin Fox to, to Toronto, it's a great fit for the Leafs, but they damn well better get more back than James Van Riemsdyk. Marner. Marner. Yeah, you got to start that with Marner. Nylander's better than Marner. Nylander is better than Marner. You're not going to get Nylander, though. You can. You could get Nylander for fall. No way. I, I think you no could. Way. I think you could. Top pairing right-handed defenseman with three years of control, two and a half years of control, $4 million. Get under $5 million? Yeah. But that he's essential to their core. I think Marner's – Marner they see as expendable because they're putting him on the fourth line with Matt Martin. They can call up Nikita Sashnikov. They can put Dmitry Timoshov on the roster, Kasperi Kapanen. Uh, they can move Connor Brown up to where Nylander is. They have they have the forwards to play with. What about Kasperi Kapanen and JVR and JVR no. signs an extension? No. No. no, 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 because no. you're trading for you're you're trading for Victor Rask. I'm tired. I'm, I'm JVR. Yes, I'm tired. Uh-oh. JVR is a perennial thirty thirty guy. I'm I'm tired. Of, JVR is a perennial. I'm, I'm tired of guy. I'm tired of this team picking up number two centers and then slotting him in to play 20 minutes a night and saying, now you're at number one. And then JVR is a first line winger. JVR is a top six winger without a doubt. And he, I mean, he's a perennial 30, 30 guy, literally every year he's 30, 30, but a winger, but again, number one, there's that number two, a winger isn't what they need right now. They need a center, which is why I think that Marner or Nylander, you know, sounds really good. Now, that being said, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is out there and I think you can get, him plus for Falk. I don't know what the plus is, but you know I. Camilleri. <laughs> Camilleri. Adam Larson. Chris, Chris Russell. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and I'm I'm probably going off the rails a little bit here, but I've seen time and time and time and time again this team pick up number two guys or you know guys that shouldn't be slotted anywhere higher than the second line and saying, go to it. Now you're a first line center or first line where, and it never works. And if you're going to trade Justin Falk, you better get a guy that's going to, is going to be in all situations. I don't even know if Duchesne was that guy. I'm not disappointed. They didn't make that trade at all. I don't think Duchesne's a legitimate top center. No, I don't think so either. I mean, Jordan Stahl's outproducing him at even strength this year by yeah. a very large margin. Stahl's the number one center, like I said on a previous episode. But I think JVR is a little bit different than a Victor Rask. I mean, Victor Rask had a couple good years. and Well, actually, he had really a really good year and a half because halfway through the first year of being paid big money, he completely fell off the rails and he hasn't gotten back. But JVR has been... Again, a perennial 30-30 guy for a long time. And the reason I put Kapanen in there, too, is because, one, he's not going to ever, till something happens with that roster, he's not going to get his fair shake um, in Toronto. And this is a first-round pick that has a potential to be a top-nine forward in, in this league. I mean, if you get JVR, you get the 30-30, and then you get the upside from Kapanen, who's most likely NHL-ready as it is right now. Here's my concern, though. Is JVR a 30-30 guy when he's the guy that's being expected to create the offense and not just finish chances? I mean, he was on those terrible Toronto teams and was still a 30-30 guy. He was on some bad Toronto teams. Yeah, he yeah, was. But he had Kessel. He had Kessel for a few but of those years. Does Kessel really create offense all that much? I mean, I say so. 
I mean, he, he, he's he just played he, off of Kessel. I mean, he's not Kessel's not Ron Francis when it comes to you know creating plays, but defenses have to pay attention to Kessel, which I think opened up a lot of space for JVR and you know vice versa. I don't know. I JVR doesn't excite me at all, and never has. I've never been a huge fan of his. I think he was, you know, I I think that he was probably correctly slotted in Philly, and then when he moved from there. He just has been the best player on a bad. He's been, you know, he's been Duchesne on the wing. He's been one of the best players on bad teams. And, you know, now that the Leafs are getting good, I hate to say it, but I kind of feel like he's along for the ride. I don't know why I feel that way, but I've just never been super impressed with him anytime I've seen him. He's having a really good year again. Nine goals and 15 points in 18 games. 55% Corsi share. I'm not saying that he is some kind of answer to the long had issues of, of this offense, but I think it's a piece that if Carolina wanted to boost the offense, you can rely on him for goals. I mean, ever see the past, well, really since the lockout year, 2013, the lockout shortened year, he's been a 30, 30 player literally every single season, except for the one season where he was hurt. But yeah, even the one season he was hurt, he played 40 games and he had 14 goals and 15 assists, so almost literally right on track for 30-30. Mm-hmm. And in the lockout year, he had 48 games, 18 goals, 14 assists, and 30 goals, 27, 29 last year, 9 and 18 this year. So I look at him as a as a worthwhile thing to at least consider. This is also moot, because Francis isn't making a move for anyone of that yeah. caliber. Well, until he does, then you know, they're not going to be as good as they can be. And he's not living up to his expectations as a general manager. I agree. You know, with, with that in mind, though, do you think that Ryan Nugent Hopkins could be that guy? He's four years younger and he hasn't been a consistent 30-30 player the way that Van Riemsdyk has, but he's kind of gotten buried the same way that, you know, Casper Captain, in a sense, has with the Leafs. You know, he's going nowhere in Edmonton. Personally, I think I'd rather have him, even though his stats don't back this up, I'd rather have him at a younger age on this team. I think he's a better fit than JVR. I definitely don't think he's a bad fit, but my... And I like the fact that he's younger and he, he is a little locked up, but my fear is that he, he comes here and he's still just a 45 to 50 point guy because cause really you're paying $6 million extra for what Victor Rask should be, is what I feel. Yeah, that's true. But I think at some point, regardless of who it is or what team they come from, Francis has to do something. I mean, he can't stick with all these defensemen with Jake Bean likely coming into the fold or being very close next year. I mean, he almost made the team out of camp. And Roland McEwen, like Brian said earlier, he was absolutely outstanding in, in that Florida game. And, you know, if those two are on the verge of being ready, also college defenseman Luke Martin, who is a second round pick, there has to come a point where Francis has to stop being patient and kind of letting things play out. And he has to be the aggressor. He has to, in my opinion, move one of these defensemen for someone up front, be it a center, be it whoever, who can make this team not as inconsistent uh, when it comes to putting the puck in the net, because so many times not only this year, but in years past, they've been one goal away from winning games or tying games late or what have you. 
it, it just looks to me like they need that one guy up front and they do not have it. And I don't, I don't think anybody really coming up will be either unless Martin Neches is closer than we think. But even then, he's not going to help us this year and he's not going to be a superstar next year. So, I don't know. I think he is closer than you think. I think he comes over next year. And I'm going to go out on a limb right now. I say he hits 45 points next year. He's played well in the Czech League since he's gone back. And he was good when he was here. But I don't know if that's just Martin Erat carrying him. So, huh. Speaking of Martin Erat, I, I found a, a tweet. Philip Forsberg has now scored as many goals against the Capitals as Martin Erat and Michael Lotta scored for the Capitals. Outstanding. Oh, George McPhee, everyone. <laughs> he sure knows how to build a team. He's good now that he's in Vegas. We we he he disappeared and we forgot who he was and now he's good again. Mm-hmm. Vadim Shipachev thinks that he's a great GM. That's right. We do have to wrap. Wrapping gifts. Ah, uh, yeah, the wrapping gifts. We're getting closer to the holiday season. What are you giving me for Christmas? Who are you asking? Ah, damn. All right. Well, that one fell short. Anyway. Um. A big special thanks to our wonderful guest and wonderful editor Brian. Uh, how how was your evaluation? Yes. How did we a did we pass our evaluation? And b is there any chance you'd be willing to come on this train wreck again? Uh, let's start with b first. Um, likely, depending on what the payoff is. The answer to the first part of your question is written in red pen on the top of the paper. See me. Oh no. <laughs> That's the worst. When we stop recording this, we're actually going to stay in here for about 30 minutes, and Brian's going to yell at us about how bad we were. Yeah, we, we do this live to tape every time. There's no redos. There's no pauses. No no anything. Uh, but, yeah. I'm actually going to need to cut a few things out of this. One. <laughs> <laughs> oh, for sure. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. But, as usual, you can follow us at Kane's Country on Twitter. Always have great content coming out of there. You can follow me on Twitter at Lanky Lape. I cover the checkers for Kane's Country. Follow me at K underscore Morton nine. Uh, sometimes I go two weeks forgetting to post a column I wrote, um, but you, I'll do my best to have one out every week. I should have one out tomorrow. What's the nine for, by the way? That was asked on a previous pod, and I never got an answer. That's just a number I like. I like the number nine. Outstanding. You're a Derek Roy fan back in your day? Uh, guess not. No. <laughs> I was trying to think of a funnier player than Derek Roy, and I couldn't on, on a whim. Mike Dono. Well, that's not, that's not, funny, that's not though. funny, though. He's good. Um, yeah, Gordy Howe doesn't really work. Um, nine, is a, nine is such a good hockey number. Yeah, it, it is. For, wasn't for Bada nine in Carolina, or was he 19? No, he was 19. 19. Well, you were nine. No, not even. Oh wow! I was here. Well, you weren't even nine. Well, look at me, all high and mighty. Two years older. Two years, Brett. Well, maybe one day I'll be the, I'll be the person you are. Maybe one day you'll be older than me. Who knows? (laughs) Keep trying. Let's not get carried away now. Well, my Twitter handle doesn't have the number nine in it, and I'm not nine years old anymore. But (laughs) you can find me on Twitter at. Brett Finger, B R E T T F. But he tweets like he is. Burn. <laughs> See, this is what happens every week. I get picked on. I have a story. I have a story to tell. What's that? Go ahead. Oh, God. 
one time the, the Canes Country staff, some of us, we went we went bowling. And and I was lucky enough to be able to be entering the names into into the keyboard. And I unleashed the classic, most devastating burn on, on Brian possible. I named him Brain. <laughs> he did, he did. not and if you knew how much if you knew how much heartache that gave me in middle school, you'd understand why Kyle walked out of there with a black eye that night. <laughs> I'm pretty sure this photographic proof. I think either Peter took a picture of this, or or Brian, maybe you did. It was me I or Peter. Peter. <laughs> Brian, where can the people find you on Twitter? Do I have to? Yes. At BD LeBlanc, L E B L A N C. Um, I don't tweet much. And when I do, it's usually either pictures of my daughter or about Sunderland Football Club. And just to clarify, he is not to be confused with Kevin LeBanc. His brother. LeBanc. His brother. Money in LeBanc. <laughs> there was a time there was a time back when you guys were in diapers that I had a completely irrational hate of Brian Gianta. I could not stand him. Like just his existence pissed me off. Mm-hmm. And I'm almost at that point with Kevin LeBanc. <laughs> not for any not for any decent hockey reason. I've barely even seen the guy play. But every time I see his name mentioned on Twitter for a split second, I think someone's tweeting about my brother, also named Kevin. They are. Stop. <laughs> Please stop tweeting about Brian's brother. Please, yes. people. Hashtag. Dear, dear, dear hockey media, please stop tweeting about my brother. Hashtag better brother. Use it on Twitter this week. We'll, we'll start a poll soon. <laughs> we'll, we'll find out who the better brother is once and for all. <laughs> all right. Well, that's it for episode 16. Hope you all enjoyed it. Brandon Sutter. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Brandon Sutter. Reverse Corey Stone. Wait, was it last week 16? Nope. No. Nope. no. It was I used the reverse Corey Stillman joke at the end of last week when we were talking about episode 16. Okay. Marcus Kruger. Hello. Uh, no, we don't do current. Former Elias Lindholm. Former but Elias. don't we love to do ex-Blackhawks? But don't we, do. we love to talk about Troy Grosnick and his game three years ago? That's allowed. That's normal to do on a podcast. Aaron Dell called. He's disappointed we haven't talked about him more. <laughs> <laughs> What is it with Sharks backup goalies in this podcast? All right. Anyway, on that awkward note, (laughs) thank you for joining us. This was wonderful, and have a great week. Bye. Bye. Brian, you're going to say bye? Nah. All right, well. Say goodbye to the audience, Brian. Goodbye to the audience, Brian. Oh, that's (laughs) funny. He's a father. (laughs) <laughs> he can make dad jokes as well he's got three four three years of dad jokes four four oh and they just get worse from here yeah she just turned she just turned four a couple weeks ago why weren't we invited to the birthday party yeah um because we were full and if we invited anybody else it would have been an extra hundred dollars uh are we not worth a hundred dollars to you no